0: Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined, as always, by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on
1: Twitter? Yes, I am on Twitter. I'm Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am
0: Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast, which you will have done uh, a day later than we typically are. I think it was at an all-time high for people texting me... Uh, DMing me or pit up on Twitter, wondering where the podcast was. I think we had a lot of fans that were anxious for this week's recap for, for one reason or the other. Um,
1: Well, I threw my back out twice last week. I had a cold and it took me nine hours to drive from Chicago to Minneapolis yesterday. And it was,
0: it was the last one that really
1: threw us out. As far as I would have been fine. Had the nine hour thing not happened. (laughs) That is there's something there's a,
0: special kind of tired when you get done with a long uh, car ride where doing something like, I don't know, recording a podcast, it seems monumentous that that you would have to try to garner that kind of energy.
1: Yes. I've been there. It, and by the way, we don't just record the podcast. It takes a little bit of preparation yep. to
0: do this. Because so. we're professionals. Speaking of the reason you were traveling... Was because you had Thanksgiving. Was it a good Thanksgiving for you? Did you get all the foods that you were looking for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I got. I really only look for one. I guess one and a half is the stuffing and gravy. Okay, you know. Okay, I I do the potatoes too. I mean, I, I have a mountain of stuffing and potato, like a, a large mountain of stuffing. Okay, a medium sized mountain of potatoes, and then some green bean casserole. And then, like a little sliver of turkey, and that's all I have.
0: Okay. And then, did you slaver, put gravy all over the stuffing and the mashed potatoes? Correct. Okay. All right. Um, I had just a little bit of stuffing because, as Dustin and I agreed upon, we're not stuffing guys, but huge amounts of turkey, mashed potatoes, uh, casseroles, uh, corn casserole, as I requested, was there. Uh, Corn casserole is fantastic. Oh, absolutely. If it's done right, I do like green bean casserole. I forgot to bring that up. And, anyways. Um, it was a great Thanksgiving. It was the—I will say this—the the meal and time with my family on Thanksgiving was the highlight of the entire weekend for me.
1: Sure, uh, for you it probably was. For me, it was not. Okay. You know how, that I do not like pumpkin pie, right? Yes, I—I yeah. I thought I remember you saying. that. You made this very clear in the podcast. I don't understand the whole pumpkin thing, the whole flavor of pumpkin with these pumpkin spice frappuccino lota due to Deuteronomy whatever they are at at the Starbucks. My mom made a pumpkin cake, basically like a like a a bundt cake, I think, is what it is. Is that what they call it? The circular deal? Not a a baker. Well, a circular little cake that it was pumpkin flavored and it had icing on it. Oh, my God. It was unbelievable. Really? That was good. Yes. Oh, All right. I got to think that.
0: You know, dessert you just described has got to be somewhat, like, familiar to how a pumpkin pie would taste. Yeah, but
1: it's bread. It's not the mushy goop that pumpkin pie is. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I would love to try that. That
0: sounds amazing.
1: I'm going to have to have her make that again. I think she just whipped it. Together. I She's never made it before. And
0: then put a little slice in a Tupperware container and bring it, bring yeah. it to your guy. agree, because I'd like to give that a try
1: sometimes. So and... I I got to say, I've been yeah. knocking pumpkin all these years. And and here I am. There you j- go. I mean, you it finally. Was, it was probably better than the stuffing. That's saying a lot <laughs>
0: for you. Holy cow. You know, I'm not big into sweets either. No. Wow. That's good. And then speaking of, you were bold, met a couple... Yeah. So friends through the podcast, and it sounds like you had a great time.
1: Yeah, so I think this is the best time to do this segment here as opposed to during the game because okay. it's just going to drag out okay. the analysis of the game. So here's here was my day on Saturday going to the Illini game in Evanston, which, by the way, is really close to Chicago. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm aware. It's like right next door, but okay. it's not in Chicago. So I went to Evanston, <laughs> and I met up with our friend. The Kingfisher. The Kingfisher. From, from the Twitters. Like, he had been DMing me, and he said he was going to the game, and I was like, yeah, I was considering going myself, so we decided to meet up. He drove from central Illinois Gap. up to the Burbs, met at my parents' house, so my parents got to meet the Kingfisher. Wow. He is a mountain of a man. He like, looks like he could put on pads and play offensive that, line in the Big Ten right now. I'm it. not even exaggerating. Yep. He's about 6'5". Okay. He's 300-plus pounds, and it's a, you know, it's a big, like – burly 300 pounds okay. right big hands everything so we decided to drive in my car he barely squeezed in there <laughs> <laughs> that's because I felt
0: hilarious thought just to think about it yeah. i
1: felt bad i got a small two-seater car i felt bad that he drove all the way and had to have him drive again so i'm like well we can drive in my car oh boy he had to shoehorn himself in there I felt so bad. But then <laughs> he thanked me for driving. Right. So we get up there and we got plenty of room to spare for the game. We got up there like a solid hour, hour and a half early. And so I thought, you know me, where can I get some alcohol? So I DM Westlot Pirates, our friends that are that do the Northwestern podcast. Check them out on Twitter at Westlot Pirates. They Sam. don't.
0: They don't follow me, so I can't. I guess I can't call them friends. But maybe someday.
1: Okay. Well, Sam and John, please follow Jeffrey the Greek. They they follow me, so they invited us into their, into their tailgate, which was fantastic. Nice. They were cooking beers, everything. So we had we had a couple of beers with them. We talked. We'll I'll talk more about what we discussed. Yes. In the next, next episode, podcast. not this episode. So shout out to them. So we're sitting in our seats. We, the guys in front of us were really friendly, outgoing guys. Just kept turning around, high-fiving us every time something would go well. Okay. So we started talking to them. I said, I was out of state. And they're like, oh, we are too. Where are you from? And I said, I live in Minneapolis. We also live in Minneapolis. Players. So one of them lives in Hopkins. Another one lives in, in the city of Minneapolis. And I live right in between the two of them. Crazy. Okay, it gets even crazier. One is his name. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say his first name is Suresh. And he is the president of the Twin Cities Illini Club. Insane. Insane. How about that? The other one, even more crazy, he is on Twitter at pronouncedplez. And he is a writer for the Champagne Room, part of the SB Nation, uh, you know, And to be specific,
0: this wasn't a pre-organized meetup. You just happened to be sitting next to them.
1: We just happened to be sitting next to them and all these coincidences took place. So the four of us just hung out the whole game and had a blast.
0: Fun things happen when you go to live college football games,
1: and they do not serve booze in that stadium.
0: Yeah, that didn't surprise me that much when you told me that. I know. I mean, that remember that was the norm across almost all of college football just three, four short years ago. Absolutely. Yeah, but why not? Well, because it's it's Northwestern. I think that has part to do with it. What what was the crowd mix? Just out of curiosity. (laughs) Uh, I mean,
1: it was heavily favored to Illinois, but I will say there was. I'm not sure I'd call it a crowd. (laughs) Given the air Plenty quotes of good seats were right now. That stadium holds forty-seven thousand. I'm sure there was not even twenty thousand. Okay, there.
0: I mean, I could kind of tell that by TV. It
1: was it was a sparse crowd. sparse crowd. But there was ILL chants going on throughout the stadium. There were not. Yeah, there were just not many Northwestern fans to yep. be honest with yep. you. And, and here's one thing I'll say: the tailgating was spectacular. Great. I mean, in the West Lot. It, it's ironically, they're now in the East Lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. They got moved. Okay. They got. They said they got big-timed out of the west lot over to the east lot. But you got to keep the name. It's a trademark. Man. You got to keep not, the yeah, name. Yeah. So, anyway, I was impressed by the tailgate. so I think what happened is probably most of the Northwestern fans just stayed out of the tailgate. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, good stuff, man. Glad I was, that was successful. Had so much fun. Then, knock on wood, we've
0: had a lot of success meeting up with listeners of the podcast. It's been great.
1: Yeah, and for those of you that follow King Fisher, you know, he's – a little out there on Twitter. He's got some crazy wild takes. That's why I like him. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. How, how would you describe he's not it? for everyone? Well, he's but, not for everyone, but if he's for you, you're going to love him. You're going to love him. And he's a fun follow, but just a nice, believe it or not, a normal, well-adjusted young man. That's nice. Yeah. That's good stuff.
0: All right, man. Good things. Yeah. All right. Let's get um, going. Speaking of the aforementioned podcast, uh, We figured this would be a monster if we tried to do this all in one. We are fully aware of the news out of Nebraska and Wisconsin with Matt Rule and Luke Fickle. We are going to do a standalone podcast next after we go through these games. This might be a little bit expedited uh, uh, recap of the games here uh, to get us into the other podcasts. We can get both out to you ASAP. All right. First game up was on Black Friday, which was Friday, November 25th. Kurt, sometimes you drink Fireball to warm up. Sometimes you drink fireball to celebrate, and sometimes you drink fireball to forget. Nebraska, 24, Iowa 17. The Huskers with 329 yards of total offense to the Hawks, 274. Um, Did you have some fireball after this? I had fireball during and after.
1: Did you really? Yes. So you got three weekends in a row, I fireballed it up. Yeah, I was going to say, you got that taste and you, you can't let it go. I'm going to be letting it go now that,
0: that, that'll, that'll be it for me until I would say the next cold part of next football.
1: season. By the way, very disappointed. They do not have a Twitter handle. I tried to tag them. You you did. Yeah. And they just weren't there. So I just wrote down fireball TM. I put the trademark after that's a mess. That seems like
0: a mess from their, from their PR department. Um, yeah. So what do we got here? Uh, we got the heroes trophy going to Lincoln for the first time in eight years, certainly Nebraska deserved to win the game. It was not Iowa. Um, during the winning streak where Iowa seemingly turned the season around, there was one thing that they did especially well, which is what is the recipe that is needed, which is force turnovers from the other team and not turn the ball over yourself. I think during the winning streak, it was something like they forced eight turnovers to the their one turnover. They about evened it up in this game. four turnovers for Iowa uh, to one turnover for Nebraska. Obviously, I would say the biggest part of this game was the turnovers. With that being said, you have to take advantage of said turnovers, and Casey Thompson and Trey Palmer did all of that in this game.
1: Yeah, I was just surprised that they put up 278 yards passing on this great Iowa defense. Now I know it was a little bit hampered. I think there was a – Cooper DeGene went out pretty early, right? But still, that is some great production through the air against Iowa. Anytime you go against Iowa – you don't expect to see that.
0: Yes. Um almost all of that was in the first half. Uh so I do think I, I think Phil Parker did everything he could to adjust in the second half and slow the the Nebraska offense down. Um again, there's going to be several times probably in this breakdown where it's going to be tough for me to separate Jeff the Iowa football fan from Jeff the Greek the podcaster, but Cooper DeJean going out of the game is huge. There's there's uh, injuries that happen all the time. Luke Reimer was gone, but uh, um, Sam Laporta didn't even dress for the game. Spencer Petras attempted six passes. He was knocked out of the game. We're talking the starting quarterback tight end and outside of of um, Jack Campbell, Cooper DeGene is the biggest splash player on, on, Illinois, on uh, Iowa's defense. When he went out, I don't know about the Iowa sideline, but I can assure you all the Hawkeye fans in my section, the air just went out of us, uh, knowing that Cooper DeGene. And not only that, it went from Riley Moss with Cooper DeGene out. It went from Riley Moss down to our fifth string cornerback. And then he he got replaced by our sixth string cornerback. With that being said, you have to dial up the plays and have the dudes to hit those plays so credit goes to Mark Whipple, Casey Thompson and Trey Palmer because they obviously did what they needed to do to take advantage of a situation that was advantageous to them.
1: And Iowa shut down the rushing game, which isn't hasn't really been hard to do all year. 51 rushes, I'm sorry, 51 rushing yards on 35 attempts, but if you take like Anthony Grant couldn't get anything done. But Raymer Johnson, oh my, he actually yep. Looked pretty good. It looked pretty good. 12 carries for 52 yards. He was getting it done. Nobody else could. And then you, you of course, subtract the, the sacks out of that, too, because Casey Thompson lost yardage there, which which arrives at your uh, your low number. But they actually were doing something right in the rushing department, which impressed me.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Um, Certainly... I mean, it wasn't a strong point. Strong point of the game for them. I mean, for them, essentially, what this game plan was: what they got, they jumped up seventeen to nothing. That was the halftime score. Coming out of the second half, Iowa forced them into a three and out punt. Our punt returner, who, by the way, would be Cooper DeGene if he was healthy, fumbled the ball. Il- uh, uh, Nebraska picked it up, scored another touchdown. It was now twenty-four to nothing in the game. From that point on, I'm pretty sure the game plan was we know that we can move the ball by throwing the ball. However, throwing the ball is a trickier situation because there's obviously a higher chance of stopping the clock and uh, uh, getting a turnover, so they just sat on it. They basically said, Iowa, see if you can come back in this game with using your offense only. Alex Padilla went in, did... Okay, I mean, 141 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Caleb Johnson, 109 yards, 6.8 yard average, and a touchdown. would did come back in this game. I, it was 24 to 17. They had two chances to tie this game up and put it into overtime. I, I can assure you, the Nebraska fans. In our section, we're getting a little butt butt clenchy at that time. I would would venture out to guess that a lot of Nebraska fans were getting a little bit nervous. But in the end, there just wasn't enough organization, shall we say, out of the Iowa offense in a two-minute and four-minute offense like that to actually get something done, and it was pretty darn frustrating for Hawkeye fans.
1: I mean, I was getting butt clenchy. Of course, I was a Husker fan at this point because Purdue had not lost yet. I needed... Iowa to lose and Purdue lose for Illinois to have a chance to go to Indy. So I was cheering for the Huskers. And in the moment, I'm thinking, oh, no, they're going to melt down again. This is how it's going to end. But I got to say, holding that off, preventing that from happening, and getting a win finally over, let's, let's be honest, it's a rival. It's kind of a nice closure to the Scott Frost era. Okay, it's over. Boom! We at least had that at the very end there. Yeah,
0: the Scott Frost, Mickey Joseph era. Mm. Shout out to Mickey Joseph. I'm just
1: calling it the Scott part of the Scott, Scott Frost Frosch era. <laughs> um,
0: shout out to Mickey Joseph. Like talking before the game again, Twitter, phone calls <clears throat> at the at, at the tailgate. You know where we tailgate. A lot of Iowa fans were kind of going under the assumption, like I don't know what Nebraska is even playing for right now, using that as a psychological advantage for the Hawkeyes. And I kept saying over and over again. I would not be so confident that Nebraska is just going to, you know, take off, take this game off. Now, if somehow in a parallel universe, Iowa jumped out to a big league, maybe I could see it. But this was a Nebraska team that came in. They looked like the team that was more fired up and ready to play. All credit goes to Mickey Joseph for getting the team up, for winning what, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things does it make that big of a difference as far as win-loss and what it means for postseason and stuff like
1: that? Made a little difference for people sharing receipts on Twitter. I'm just curious, when you're cashing in a receipt, does it does it carry the same value seven years later? I mean, what with inflation and all? <laughs> um, so I think what we're getting at is, uh, let's, is just it...
0: say, let's just say this. Um, I'm glad we're recording on Monday evening, as opposed to Saturday or even Sunday uh, because I was hot, certainly on Friday night and then into Saturday. I I was surprised that how many Nebraska fans came right at me to let them, let me know that Nebraska won the football game. It it, it was amazing. As if you weren't watching. And I guess what I, I think that you're kind of alluding to is it, it seemed like over the previous seven years that when Iowa won the game, it was a gigantic, nobody cares because this is not a team. Either team is playing for a championship. Congratulations, you beat a bad team. Well, that all got thrown out the window on Friday night. And I want to make it because Nebraska fans, they were hella happy to win this game. And I just want to say, that's how you should be. Every college football win yeah, of is a blessing. So, No college football fan should ever feel guilty over winning a football game and being excited about it, especially when it's a border rival in your own division. I mean, these are the reasons why you watch these games. So this will be my long-winded way of saying I will never accept a Nebraska or Iowa fan saying this win doesn't matter. These wins will matter more and more
1: as the years go on. If anybody knows about cherishing a win, it's me, the guy you're talking to right now. With the win, Nebraska finishes four and eight,
0: sixth place in the Big Ten West. With the loss, something that we I guess we didn't talk about. With the loss, Iowa lost their chances to go to Indianapolis. A win would have put them in, which obviously adds to the disappointment of the day. Uh, with the loss, Iowa finishes seven and five, tied for second in the West. And the other thing I was thinking about the other day: their win loss total was seven and a half. So if you had that ticket on Iowa, over or under, it literally went down to the last possession of the year to see if you could have gone over or under that total. Which wow. Which is crazy.
1: That's interesting.
0: Right? Yeah. They could, have, they could have wound up going over too. All right. Let's move into the next day, Saturday, November 26th. Maryland 37, Rutgers 0. The Terps with 513 yards of total offense to the Scarlet Knights, 135. Uh, on the last pod... DS and I talked about how to make things feel decent for Maryland on the year, they needed to finish strong. This was a strong finish for the last week of the regular season, that's for sure.
1: Wow, strong. Okay, let's look down the statistics here. First downs, 31 to 7. Total yards, you already mentioned, 513 to 135. Passing yards, 379 to 72. Passing yards per attempt, 8.4 to 3.3. Rushing yards, 134 to 63. They had less penalties. They had half as many turnovers. They almost doubled them up in time of possession. It wasn't just a butt kicking in the scoreboard, it was a butt kicking in every single category of this game. This is the exc- exclamation point for Maryland on their season. And
0: it's funny because DS and I <clears throat> both picked Maryland to cover in this game. So I feel like we had a pretty decent beat. On this, but I did not think, I know Rutgers offense has been, has been, um, struggling. I didn't think they would get shut out and Maryland's defense had the capability of making it look that bad, both on the scoreboard and on the sheet of paper. There's not a ton to break down in this game. You could have turned it on in the first, second, or third quarter by the end of the game. Maryland was just kind of coasting in this game. Uh, Gavin Wimset and Evan Sinem, I mean, they combined 8 of 22 for 72 yards. They couldn't rush the ball either. 2.3-yard no. average. Sorry, Terps fans and Scarlet Knights fans. I don't know what you want to say other than... It was a horrible performance by Rutgers. It was a great performance by Maryland. Yep. Maryland needed something to feel good about at the end of the year because let's be honest, even if Rutgers won this game, they were not going to a bowl. So in the end, this is probably a good thing overall for the Big Ten Conference. Now we'll see where, where Maryland goes bowling.
1: Something to feel feel good about is Roman Hemby, the freshman with three touchdowns. Jason, Jay Sean Jones. I don't know, I'm struggling with these names right now. Nine receptions, 152 yards, and a big touchdown for wreckers they've just got to get some offense, man. Yep, yep. In fact, this is a big off season for them to get some offense. Yes. Please get some offense. I think that'll be find somebody if Gavin
0: Wimsett's your guy, find somebody around him to to help him out. With the win, Maryland finishes seven and five, fourth in the East. If you look at the East standings, it is a very clear one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It is perfectly laid out. A little bit different than the West. With the loss, Rutgers finishes four and eight last in the East. The Eyes on Big podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel agent technique creates unique characteristics in each barrel that produce one-of-a-kind whiskeys. Amador is made to be sipped neat or it's perfect for classic bourbon cocktails. Just like your favorite go-to Big Ten football podcast, Amador is the go-to whiskey this football season. Don't forget to hashtag Ask for Amador and check out our new website and finder options so you can see where to find Amador. At www.amadorwhiskeyco.com. Amador Whiskey, born in Kentucky, raised in California. Moving into the afternoon, the game that my podcast partner was in attendance for, Illinois 41, Northwestern 3, the Illini with 292 yards of offense to the Wildcats. 321. Say what?
1: It was interesting. I'll say this for Northwestern. They were moving the ball really well between about the 25s, the two 25 yard lines. In fact, I was getting frustrated at times at how easily they were moving it. They kept, they just could not stop turning the ball over once they got into Illinois territory. I mean, we're talking six interceptions. Or six turnovers, five interceptions, one fumble. It could have been one or even two more interceptions. One was just flat-out dropped by Kendall Smith. Kendall Smith also would have had to make another pretty spectacular play to get another one, but they were just putting the ball in harm's way constantly, and that's why they lost this game.
0: And it almost seemed like Sidney Brown had
1: all of the forced turnovers. Okay, so want to hear something interesting? Yeah. Sidney Brown, the Browns... (laughs) Scored three touchdowns, but two of them were by Sydney on defense. That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was interesting to watch the difference in the defensive alignment when Chase Brown was in the backfield versus when Reggie Love was in the backfield. Reggie Love had a great game here: eleven carries, eighty-five yards, one touchdown. It just looked like the sea was partying every time he would get the football, and it's because they weren't stacking the box. When Chase Brown was back there, different story. He could just there was no room for him to run. They were not respecting the pass which that says something about their game plan uh the align I just couldn't and they this has been all year they don't really stretch the field that that was their big weakness it's but very reliant on the short passing game very reliant on the short passing game it wasn't great it was okay but I guess I should I should be focusing more on the positives here than on the negatives
0: I mean, five interceptions. The NU passers, of course, we had another guy mixed in that hardly anybody's heard of before last Saturday. But the NU passers, 17 of 31, 167 yards, five interceptions. We've had games with a boatload of turnovers. I don't know if we've had a five-interception game.
1: I'm not sure we've had one this year. Yeah. I'm sure we've probably had them in the time we've been doing the cast. But Devin Witherspoon, the fantastic cornerback, he had two interceptions. Uh, Sidney Brown, I mentioned before scoring two touchdowns, he was just amazing. It was just incredible to watch six tackles for solo. He had two interceptions, one return for a TD, one fumble, uh, uh, recovery that was also returned for a TD. And by the way, I, I think the fumble play was better than the interception play. Yeah. I think most people would, would take the interception, but the way he attacked, it's the quarter, and, and then scoop And, score and then scoop tough. and score, he was just all over the place. It was, it was so much fun being in that stadium and watching this. And I think maybe the greatest enjoyment was when all the starters came out and all the backups went in. And you get to see some younger guys. They're having fun. So the group that I was sitting with that I talked about before, the four of us, we were all sitting around. Of course, Kingfisher's a youngster, but the other two gentlemen were about my age. We were like, this is how it's supposed to be. I know it hasn't been like this in 30 right. years, but this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, um, how it's
0: not supposed to be is a 111 season for Northwestern, and how this finished up. But we'll talk more on that on on the podcast. Uh, it was essentially the game that you expected, the score you you expected. And and I think what people need to understand is when you hear those team totals, like we give team stats to just try to give you a snapshot. There just wasn't very many available yards for Illinois to get in this game. Because their defense either scored with it right. or got it down so close to the you know the goal line. There just wasn't very, very many available yards. And that's why you'd see the stats as they are.
1: Yeah, I guess that that's certainly part of it. By the way, I did want to mention for Northwestern. I'm not even gonna to try to pronounce his name. Number ninety nine, the defensive yep, lineman that's yep. all over the defense. Guy was an absolute beast. He was ever he was the best player for Northwestern.
0: They need more of the of that guy (laughs) there's not not many of those they need a few more of him for sure with the win Illinois finishes the season eight and four second in the Big Ten West the only issue is that one of the other games we're going to cover did not go the way that uh, Illini fans wanted it to go so they will not represent the Big Ten West in Indianapolis this weekend with that being said I think I can speak for you and almost Illinois fans that you would have signed up for eight and four and second in the West three and a half months ago
1: it's a pretty fun season. Uh, I, I talk often on this podcast about the 1999 season, how much I how much fun I had because it was unexpected. Same feeling. Yep, same deal. Uh, with the loss, Northwestern finishes one
0: and eleven, which is obviously last in the Big Ten West. I think the only Power Five team that is worse is Colorado. Really, so that would be that would be my take on that. Well, and there's really nobody else that's got that flow of
1: wins. I have some things to say, but I'm going to save them for the next Next podcast. Next game up, the
0: battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. Minnesota 23, Wisconsin 16, the Gophers with 416 yards of total offense to the Badgers 334. Minnesota has now won three of the last five axes, which now brings the series total to 62, 62, and eight.
1: Wow, That is incredible. That is amazing. Gosh, what a rivalry. And what a game to have it get tied up like that.
0: Yeah, and then even the game itself got tied. Now, aesthetically, you know, there's going to be some naysayers that didn't love this game. I thought it was great. I'll be honest with you. A chunk of this game I was listening to on my SiriusXM radio driving back from Iowa. Got to check a little bit more of it out on TV. Um, but th- to me, this was a, a hard-fought game. I I thought at times Minnesota was definitely the better team, but then Wisconsin would do what it took to get back in this game to the point where I thought Wisconsin had this game put together. You've got to give PJ and the crew credit for keep be- for uh, remaining and battling in this game. They wind up getting the lead and putting the pressure on Wisconsin Graham Mertz gets knocked out of the game goes chase Wolf takes the offense pretty far down the yeah, field. I mean, right. into, into a, a right outside the goal line situation, but in perhaps a fitting end mm. to this year and how this has gone, they get four straight illegal formations or maybe they were all false, false starts. No, we, to think. So
1: we had a holding, then we had a false start and then we had a false start and a false start.
0: Yikes. I think it was the holding I was thinking was something else. Next thing you know, they I mean, they, a field goal isn't going to do there. They have to score a touchdown. There's no chance. And Minnesota escapes with the victory. Um, something I put out on Twitter is that let's not undersell how important this win was for PJ. I undersold how upset Minnesota fans were about the loss the previous week there was a the the amount of pj supporters thinned out after that game he needed to get some back he get he you get the axe back you're going to get minnesota fans back feeling decent about things long story short this was a big win for pj he needed this one
1: for sure in fact king fisher and i were chatting about this as we were walking out of the stadium and we were saying yeah you know lost to iowa again we were talking specifically about pj and i was giving him my opinion, saying PJ's a really good coach, but, the but also admitting, you know, he, he doesn't beat Iowa that, and that's, that's a problem. He doesn't beat Michigan. When he gets his chances, he's sure he's beaten Wisconsin a couple times. And then he goes, and does this, I mean, you, three out of five, that's something that gopher fans hadn't been able to say for a long, long Correct. time.
0: Correct. And, Again, that is a little bit of guilty of your own success situations going on there. Um, You know, four or five years ago when P.J. was just here getting this thing going, if you would have sold to Minnesota fans that they would have had an 11-win season in there and at one point will win three of the next five axes, sign me up is what Minnesota fans would have said. This season was a missed opportunity for Minnesota, and there are frustrations that I certainly get. But they still got another game going. They're gonna finish with a regular or with a winning record. They could finish with a kind of an exclamation mark, you know, winning record here, if, 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 depending on what the bowl matchup is. Another thing to feel good about for Minnesota fans: Ethan Calliakmanis, nineteen of twenty nine, three hundred nineteen yards, two touchdowns. Yeah.
1: So Mo didn't have a great game. Wisconsin. The streak, his streak ended. The streak ended. The hundred yard streak is over. No Mo. hundred yard streak. <laughs> But guess what we do have as a result of them selling out to stop him. We get the Greek God. That's right. Ethan Kelly He emerged, man. man. I want to be the Greek
0: God. Probably, probably, probably past my prime. Brevin Spanford, seven catches, 95 yards. How about Daniel Jackson and Dalen Wright, each with exactly five catches for 86 yards in this game? I mean, this is by far the three best games for those three wide receivers in one game. I would say, other than Brevin Spanford, it might be the three best games all three of them had all
1: year. I mean, just looking down at the receiving yardage for the top receivers, 95-86, 86-52, we haven't seen that all year. for the- Correct.
0: And our guy Ryan Burns on the Gopher Gridiron uh, podcast radio, um, he has said that they need to take the shackles off the passing attack. I yeah. I. I think it was tougher to do it the week before against Iowa's defense and in those conditions, cold and blustery. It was a gorgeous day, pretty much all across big 10 country. Yep. I think that wound up being a gigantic advantage for Minnesota because the passing yards just weren't there for Wisconsin. Neither team could really run the ball at all. Only one team was equipped to throw the ball and it turned out to be Minnesota with an exclamation mark. Not exactly the game I was expecting Graham Mertz, not great. Uh, 16 to 27, 170 yards, zero touchdowns, and a pick. Also went out of the game with an injury. Probably, we think, will be the last time we'll see Graham Mertz in a uniform. Maybe one more game. Maybe one more game. I don't know. They've got a bowl game to go to. It seems to be kind of a um, fitting end to the Graham Mertz era at, at Wisconsin. Yeah,
1: maybe, maybe an appropriate end. Appropriate. Yeah. That's great. Good job. You know what Good else is, is? You know what else is appropriate here in this one? Okay, Wisconsin gives up four hundred sixteen yards, which is kind of a lot. But guess where they finished? 13th. To- they finished thirteenth in total defense.
0: I had that down at the end. <laughs> I didn't. I was going to save to the end of the podcast for you. So yes, I got, so, a, I got a bottle of booze coming. Yeah, for me.
1: yes you do. Okay, fantastic. I I
0: thought maybe you'd forget about that. but um, and, and Wisconsin did run the ball pretty well. 33 rushes, 143 yards. The crazy thing is this game is already deep in the rearview mirror because of the crazy news that came out of Madison the very next day, which, again, we will get to in the next podcast. Anything else you want to beat down with this no. game? With the win, Minnesota finishes 8-4, and four, tied for second in the West. With the loss, Wisconsin finishes 6-6. Six and six. Fifth in the Big Ten West, which is a tough year for the team that most people thought was going to win the division. Next up, the battle for the old Oaken Bucket, Purdue 30, Indiana 16. The Boilermakers with 388 yards of total offense to the Hoosiers, 421. Could have been a possible buzz kill in this game if Iowa would have won the day before. But since they didn't, you got to think that charged up the boys and it wasn't exactly the the cleanest game out of Purdue that you've ever seen. But with uh, Indiana struggling as much as
1: they were, it, it, it was enough to get the job done for, for uh, Brahm and the boys. Now, in fact, sitting in the stands there in Evanston, there was a point in the game when this game became more important to us than the Illini Absolutely. game because the Illini game was well within hand. And we're talking basically halftime because the Hoosiers were up 7-3 to three in this one. I didn't really see that coming. Um, out of the gate, what a run by Jalen Lucas. 70 yards on an option play. Boy, yep. maybe, be, maybe we should just run the option in Bloomington. <laughs> we ever think about that?
0: Yeah, and then obviously the other thing, too, is... But it would have been interesting to see how much different that game would have finished if Dexter Williams did not go yeah, out of the I game. Know. I mean, we don't... We don't know yet. I think it might be a broken leg, but then they also were saying they it could be a knee thing. I hope he's okay. Oh. That that was that was a big letdown in this game right from the get go. I
1: guess I hope it's a broken leg. That would be encouraging. Yeah, it just looked like a knee to me right it, away. It just the way it bent and flopped yeah. around, it just not good. I don't know. Yeah. I was I was thinking knee, so hopefully Hopefully and then, not. and then
0: the funny thing is, is I'm like, Oh, well then who does Indiana have to come in? It's what's well, our old friend, Connor Bazelak. I mean, I know as far as having a backup come in, I, I, I guess I was a little unclear on Connor Basilak's status for both health and just on the team, uh, 24 of 42. he wound up throwing the ball 42 times, 201 yards, a touchdown to pick. But like you said, I mean, this game was seven to three Indiana at halftime,
1: um, now, it did kind of – yeah, it was 7-3 at Indiana yep. at halftime. It did kind of get out of hand in the second half because at one point, it was up to 30-10 to 10 Purdue when this was clearly over, Correct. and then Correct. Indiana punches in a late touchdown to make it 30 Yeah, I mean,
0: um and the thing is, is when you look at the Hoosiers' total yards, 421, it was so sort of the game that I was expecting. I thought both teams would be able to move the ball. Both teams did move the ball. Indiana just could not put it in the barn, whereas Purdue – pretty much put it in the barn every time they got close to the red zone. Their their overall stats wound up being pretty good. Um uh Aiden O'Connell, 18 of 29, 290 yards, two touchdowns. Crazy Legs Maccabee, a yard short of 100 yards, 6.6 yard average. There was enough there for for Purdue Char- to be Charlie happy.
1: Jones had another big game. Yep. Four Charlie Jones two, four 100-
0: catches, 143 yards, another touchdown. So, you know, uh with the win, Purdue finishes 8 and 4 wins the West. Jeff Brom gets a big 10 West championship, moves on to Indianapolis. It will be very interesting to see how Purdue fans do. That's a, that's a home game for them. Essentially. That
1: is a home game. For
0: so them. and with Michigan fans, maybe being a little overconfident and just have been there last year, I'm just saying, yeah, we'll see how that crowd mixes on, on That'll Saturday. I, you know, I love my Hawks, but I understand as far as, aesthetically pleasing football. It's not exactly what a lot of people want to see. You don't know ever really know what you're going to get with Purdue. I'm just saying there's, there's going to be now some excitement in the Big Ten Championship, especially if Purdue can kind of do a little something, something to start that game out.
1: Yeah. And one thing I wanted to point out before we move on is Corey Trice, great game, led the team in tackles in that game, had a tackle for loss and he had the pick six at the end too. With the loss, Indiana finishes
0: four and eight, six in the East. Another team that's got a lot of things they need to figure out in the offseason. Well, latest game of the day was Penn State 35, Michigan State 16, the land grant trophy, the ugliest, beautiful trophy in the history of college football. Maybe
1: not the most most forced trophy, but it's it's in the team picture of most forced trophy. Right. <laughs> it
0: is, but like at the same time, like it's been forced so hard that it's almost—it's almost took on its own character in and of itself.
1: And by yeah. the way, aren't almost all these schools land grant schools? It's a good way to put it. I don't know.
0: That was just. That was the best old timey term they could come up with is my, is my thought process. Uh, The Nittany Lions, 410 yards of total offense to the Spartans, 254. Sean Clifford expands upon his career numbers, being the number one passer in Penn state history, 202 yards, four touchdowns in this game, team rushing 45 carries, 45 carries 160 yards, almost exclusively by Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, Nick Singleton, who had 82 and 79 yards. Essentially, we were expecting Michigan State to continue their hotness. They did. Now, there was some tense moments here. you got to give Michigan State some credit for kind of keeping the game close. The other thing, too, is DS and I recorded this on Tuesday. We were a little bit earlier in the week. So we got this at an 18-point line. So and We both picked Penn State to cover, so we both hit it. But it settled at 19, which means Vegas perfectly hit the number on on, on this game. So long story short, you know, it was basically the game Vegas expected to be for score-wise. I'm not sure if the game script is exactly how Penn State fans wanted it to go. But in the end,
1: you're finishing the the year really strong. Penn State fans got to be happy. I feel like they're the forgotten souls of the Big Ten. They are. I mean, certainly this year, because they're 10-2, and which is... But it doesn't matter who you lost to. That's a really good year. Their two losses are to two potential college football playoff teams. But yet nobody talks about Penn State on a national level. Me, you, and Dustin try
0: to as much as we can on our Big Ten football specific podcast. I think they're getting a little bit more steam these last couple weeks with some of the other teams around them faltering. Yeah, Oregon went down. LSU went down. Tennessee, you know, they went down a couple weeks ago. Joel Klatt has done as good a job as he could to, to bring up. I mean, the, he pretty company much, man. He pretty much always does. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, I thank Penn State fans for how low they felt with the one-two punch that they got from Michigan and, and Ohio State. Another thing I'd like to point out, they battled really hard with Ohio State. You know, I do think, though, Penn State fans do feel better overall about things than they did four or five weeks ago. Now you have the chance to go to a really good bowl. If you win that bowl, I think it's I think by the way, James Franklin has something like four of his last six years. He's finished, it's either with 10 wins or I think ranked in the top 10. Maybe it's both. Okay. So I'm, you know, a lot of good things here for Penn State fans.
1: Well, how about it? Keandre Lambert Smith, you forgot to mention him throwing the ball. That's their great backup quarterback <laughs> there. One for one, 48 yards, <laughs> that big touchdown to Theo Johnson, but then he also led the team in receiving with five receptions, 83 yards, and a touchdown.
0: Yeah, he could definitely be in the running for the uh, Week 13 Eisman. As far as Sparty, you know, kind of after last week, the best thing you could say to Sparty is now the season is over. Uh, technically, if they would have won this game, they would have got to 500 and been able to go to a bowl. Um, maybe they're technically still alive for a bowl. I'm not so sure about that. Peyton Thorne, a decent day. Yeah. Their team rushing. Kind of 25 a- carries, 4.
1: 25 yards. That, oh, if my math is correct. That is a
0: one yard average.
1: <laughs> yeah. A bit of a drop off from last year in the rushing department. Yeah. Just a uh, bit. Um, but by the way, they were down a bunch of players in this yes. game. Let's let's make sure to point that out. Uh, Peyton Thorne though, kind of a crucial interception. He's, he's done that a number of times this year. The, the Indiana game just kind of sums up their season. Yeah. Cause that, but so does the Wisconsin game to a certain degree. I too. guess that's probably true too. Yeah.
0: Um, I tell you this, this was a perplexing year out of Michigan state. Um, I, I had reservations at one point I was browbeaten, talked into Michigan state finishing a little bit higher than maybe I, I once thought they were going to be, but this will be a crucial off season for Mel Tucker. He's there's things that have got to be cleaned up. Like the, the, you know, disciplined stuff. I mean, there's ugly things with, you know, sure. Players get in charge. That's got to get cleaned up. they got to keep the recruiting class together and find some momentum in the off season and start the the next season off strong.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, just a tough game, but in the end. I wonder. I wonder. Do Michigan State fans, do they wish they had won the Indiana game or are they just happy it's over? Yeah. Uh,
0: I'd I like think, to, I like think to... they would have, I think they would have liked to have won the Indiana game and get to a bowl. Yeah. I think it's something to be able to, yeah, I, I think it's something to be able to say. And you know, maybe if you win the Indiana game, you got a little bit more momentum coming into this game type of deal, but yeah. I understand what you're getting at where it seems like Sparty fans have kind of fallen off of Twitter and their engagement.
1: Well, and they're just upset in general. Correct. Do you think they really want to go to a low tier bowl game in Detroit? Which it's probably in Detroit. It's, it, it
0: would, yeah, it would to be. Yeah, it
1: could be. Um,
0: I would say yes, but, you know, I would want to hear from Penn State or uh, Michigan State fans on that, to be clear. Uh, with the win, Penn State finishes 10-2, and a hard third in the Big Ten East. With the loss, Sparty finishes 5-7, fifth in the East. Next game up was not only the game of the week, it was the game of the year. The game with 17 million
1: people Tuning in to Big Noon Fox to watch this game. Did you see all the events? Who this beat out? NBA every NBA 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 Finals finals game, every game, every game, every World Series game. Yep, yep. And And it it went on. You know what it
0: looked like? It looked like it beat out every single game except for the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl. Pretty much. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, incredible. Michigan forty-five. Ohio State twenty three. The Wolverines with five hundred and thirty yards of total offense to the Buckeyes four hundred and ninety two. This is the first win in the horseshoe by Michigan since two thousand, which was also the f- this and this was also the first time winning two in a row over the Buckeyes, also since the year two thousand. Uh, okay, first off, let me say this. Anybody watching this game, a quarter and a half in, if if for some reason their TV shut off and they were locked into their house, right, if then three hours later you showed them what the final score of this game would have been, they would have not have believed you. No. So I mean, I'm watching this game with my old man, uh, Doug the Carthaginian, my nephew, watching it down in the basement. We basically are like Ohio State's in control. Of this game, I remember looking on live betting apps. Uh, app, you can do that when you're in Iowa. You could have gotten uh Michigan, it, it'll give you breakdowns of Ohio State winning by zero to seven. You know, Ohio State winning by more than that. You could have gotten Michigan
1: winning by seven, 14 or more at like plus 1200 Ooh. at one point <laughs> in that game. So, what happened in the second half? Got outscored 28 to three. That is incredible. So, is that just great coaching at halftime? Yes.
0: Coaching has to be brought up in this game. For sure. Um, Another couple uh, things to point out here, too. I had the under in this game, did not hit. That was 100% an under at the beginning of the game. I mean, it was 10 to 7, you know, into the second quarter. Really, neither offense was moving the ball very well. Here's something that I'm going to say that I don't think is that crazy, but I'm interested to hear your reaction. A sneaky good thing for Michigan in this game was that Blake Corum wasn't healthy. Hmm. In my opinion.
1: That you'd think they would have leaned too much on him.
0: Bingo. And I believe Ohio state's defense did a fantastic job for the first, I mean, really the entire first half of shutting down the vaunted Michigan rushing attack. Now the the rushing attack isn't as vaunted when your Heisman Trophy running back Blake Corum is not in the game, and then Donovan opposable thumbs Edwards because both thumbs are taped up right now. Like he can't, I don't know how he's doing it right now. So like your top two running backs are either out or, or hobbled. So Ohio State was geared up to stop it, and they did. Then Jim Harbaugh suddenly said, "You know what?" We can't run the ball. They've kind of taken out the zone read with our quarterback as well. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to chuck it up. That's what they did. They but, got the vertical passing game. Yeah, and Ohio State did not know how to respond.
1: Right. But I just I wouldn't have expected, say, mid part of the season watching JJ McCarthy that he could have done what he did in this game. And what he did in this game was 14 to 24 for 263 yards and three touchdowns. And I mean, this game was all about
0: big plays. Cornelius Johnson, a.k.a. Biaka Biakabutuka. You remember Biakabutuka had his best games against oh, Ohio sure. State. Yeah, yeah. Cornelius Johnson, remember last year, too, streaking mm. down the sideline. So he, he, he loves playing against them Buckeyes. Four catches, 160 yards, and two touchdowns. All of and then and then we've got a you know third four string tight end catching long passes by the end of the game Donnie Edwards is busting off seventy yard runs like it's Tech Mobile like all of these yards by Michigan came on these big splash plays I'm just saying like I don't think we would have seen that if this was a typical Michigan football contest where they just ground and pound you
1: Yeah you might be right I mean it's a great point I just again I'm I'm surprised that they were able to get that done against a pretty good Ohio State defense. Let's be honest. If you look at them st- statistically over the year, they're they're top twenty in almost all categories. Absolutely. I mean, this is. I think the Ohio State is soft.
0: Takes are coming too hot and heavy, for me. Okay.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think the defense was soft. The defense. No, the defense wasn't soft. No. It 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 got schemed. That it looked yeah, like a scheme. That's a good to me. point. It was they got schemed as opposed to last year where they got kind of punched in the mouth. Agree. Okay. Last year was more punch in the mouth. This was we are going. You know, Jim Knowles was
0: was confident. He said we've got a game plan for their game plan. They did have a game plan for their game plan. I think they looked their front seven looked good. Tommy Eichenberg actually his
1: thumbs are both broken too. Jeez. We got two opposable thumb guys uh, for Michigan. Um, so maybe it's just the narrative from last year and the fact that let's be honest. Now th- these, these are the Kings of the East Michigan is the team to beat. Now it's not Ohio. State. I, mean, Ohio. I
0: was going to put that for my points at the end, but like last year you could make the argument. These were plausible things to point out the weather. Sure. Michigan taken yeah. Ohio state a little bit by surprise, you know, a little bit too high on their perch. You don't have those this year. The weather was gorgeous. Ohio State squarely had Michigan, you know, in their sights. They just couldn't get it done. No,
1: and all of a sudden now they almost got Ohio State almost got beat by Ohio State. I mean, this is what they normally do to people. Yeah, yeah. They got Ohio State. It's
0: what yeah, they got. A little bit. They um, got buck eyed. And again, like, can you can you blame Jim Noll and the defense for being? shell-shocked at the fact that J.J. McCarthy was throwing dimes down the field.
1: No, of course not.
0: Like, that first touchdown pass where it looked like he was getting sacked, he somehow got the ball out to Cornelius Johnson on the side. He was covered pretty well. Gets away, gone, because they're in a, you know, zero blitz. There's nobody left behind him. I, no, we didn't see that at any point the previous 11 games.
1: No, and then when you mix in his legs, he had that 19-yard run, and then he had the nice touchdown yes. run.
0: By the way, that might have been my favorite play in the game, especially certainly for J.J. McCarthy. He wanted that touchdown run on that zone keeper. Oh, yeah. He got physical. <laughs> yeah, That was – it was impressive. It was impressive. Switching over to Ohio State, so C.J. Stroud – 31 of 48, 349 yards, two touchdowns, and the two picks. The two picks did not come until the end of the game when he was trying to force the ball. I wish I could give the Ohio State person credit that I saw on Twitter. Say this because I do think there's some truth to it. Uh, Ohio State guy said, it's not CJ's fault. It's his coaches that failed him. I think Hmm. there's some truth in that. Hmm. But what do you mean? So you're running the ball. Twenty-nine times, one hundred and forty-three yards, four point nine-yard average. They, they had; it wasn't like they were having no success running the ball. And you got to give them credit for that. They're down their top two running backs. Like, Ma- well, but I
1: think that's I think that's why you got Mayan Williams, who did carry the ball eight times. But you know, you can't fully rely on him. He's not a hundred percent. They only gave Dallin Hayden the ball two times, which is a little weird. So, but I, I, I think I, part of it is just they're getting so deep into their running back room. They don't know how much they can trust these guys. I think that's part of it. Um, I'm just saying, like, we have seen C.J.
0: Stroud be incredible. We know that he can do it. I still think he's the most accurate college football quarterback I've ever seen. And I said that after Justin Fields. I I agree. Like, it's not just that he's hitting his guys. You literally cannot put the ball in a better spot than he does. Like, so we know he has the... The talent, right? So, how is it that Ryan Day is not getting it done in these big type of games recently? I well, I, I feel mean, like if it's you more look, coaching than players,
1: okay, if you look overall at big games, I guess you can you can knock Ryan Day, but he's been in some really, really big games too. So, there's something you have to factor that in. He's not okay. playing Patsy's, he's playing Clemson and Michigan, he's and, getting them and, into and, the big games and Alabama, years. but but fair you enough, can, fair enough, but you can knock him. When once he gets there, now I don't know. So you, yes, the two interceptions were at the end of the game. So let's say the game, let's say he didn't attempt those, and he was thirty-one of forty-five for three hundred fifty yards. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, just wasn't know. as good as what they're it doing on, to be. I yeah. don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, at some point you got to force a, turnor, a turnover. At some point you got to dial up the plays that are going to get you down the field. I don't know. It's so just. It, it like the the one thing I've come around with with Ohio State fans is they have been very upset at times with Ryan Day's play
1: calling. I've gotten a sense of that yeah, myself. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, well, I'm not I'm not the kind of guy that knocks play calling very often. I don't know. I think it's got, a little deeper than that because got. they had a lot of injuries at the wide receiver position too. If you look at this, it's team, tough
0: to even at Ohio State. You lose your best receiver, yeah. JSN. It, it makes a huge difference. It does. I mean, that guy wasn't available all year.
1: They I mean, still had two receivers that went over 100 yards. Yeah, I mean, it's
0: not like Marvin Harrison
1: is bad. But, Don't get me wrong, but it, but you could see things were tailing off around midseason with the offense, yes. and they never fully bounced back. So you do have to blame Ryan Day for that. He's he's the he's the man when it comes to play calling and play design. Yeah, I mean, he's in charge. But this year's edition of the defense look better than last year's. So he deserves credit for that. Two sets for, for two Jim in there. Back. Yeah,
0: I think that's fair to say. Um, and then you know, with the win, Michigan moves to, of course, 12-0, and moving on to Indianapolis for the second year in a row with the loss. OSU drops to 11-1, second in the East, but still available for the college football playoff. Um, so that is something that we'll talk about in the next podcast. I would also like to say – I still don't think Michigan is getting enough credit nationally. I still feel like people want to talk about how Ohio state gave the game away and choked as opposed to Michigan going out and getting it. Who am I to defend Michigan fans? Okay. At this point I would be annoyed if I was a Michigan fan. It's
1: because they want to see the CJ Stroud type of quarterback. That's throwing five touchdowns and no interceptions as great as McCarthy played. We didn't see that necessarily, They want to see the video game numbers.
0: So even with Michigan doing it two years in a row, being a blue blood, putting up 45 points, by the way, the I believe it is two of the four highest scoring games that Michigan has ever had versus Ohio State. Were this year and last year. Another stat to throw at you there, too.
1: Now, see, so, it's not enough just to win. You're going to win the way we want you to win, you buddy boy. You need
0: to look. You need to have 380 yards passing and four touchdowns. Correct. Right. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're correct.
1: Doesn't matter if you can just run the ball down a team's throat at will and every play. game. Stingy defense. Right. Gross. Yep.
0: I think you're right. Um All right. Week 13, Eisman. We're going to give a shout out to Trey Palmer. We are going to give a shout out to Casey Thompson. We're going to give a shout-out to Sidney Brown, pretty much the entire Illinois defense for how many turnovers they forced. Uh, but we think it's pretty obvious that the Week 13 Eisman is our guy, J.J. McCarthy. I mean, that I, I'm, sure, I'm sure my guy had big games in high school, but there ain't no bigger game than the game. And he played in it last year, but it's different when you are the starter. The, the next guy behind you is not who they want to see out there. To go out in that game and play like that, stones, man. Me and you have a little bit of egg on our face. We're not. We didn't say he was bad. We've never no, said we that. No, we said he was
1: very good, and that was it. He might. He might be a little bit better than very good. He might be. Especially, maybe. He's, maybe he's blossoming. Maybe this was his, his breakout game. It could be. We yeah. could, it,
0: it could be. All right. I had my last note here for the Wisconsin finished in 13th, but you beat me to it. So that's the end of the podcast right there, unless you got anything else to say.
1: No, but you mentioned when he was in high school. You're talking about when he was at Nazareth High School? Is that Illinois? Yeah, of course. course. (laughs) Did you know that both starting quarterbacks in the Big Ten Championship game are from Illinois? Are you serious? Yeah, Aiden O'Connell went to Stevenson High School. (laughs) You always got the Illinois stuff there.
0: I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm Big Kurt. It's been the Eyes on Big Podcast. We'll talk to you very soon in the upcoming
1: pod.